Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci, and this podcast series is about demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles and everything that dances in between. And there's a lot that dances in between, and that's pretty much what this show is about. But I just want to start off and share a story with you about the podcast that almost did not happen this afternoon. So I got on with my guest, who I will introduce in a few moments, and her headset didn't work. So she had to run to the store and get a new headset. And then I got an email from a friend of mine who lives in Korea, who I have not heard from in the longest time, and just told me that my Facebook account had just been hacked. And uh, usually I'm dealing with like leaf blowers and whatever. So today, hacking and technology, but we made it back. We're here on the show. I'm so delighted to have everyone join us. And if you are new to this podcast series and you like what you hear, please subscribe and give a good thumbs up, give a good review. Those good reviews bring more people to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone so we can spread the word to help women demystify their issues. So last week or last podcast, the title of that was, Is Your Birth Control Controlling You?, Today's podcast is a part two where I'm going into what are the natural approaches? What are the non-hormonal approaches to addressing your birth control? I want to give you a backstory before I bring in my wonderful guest today. We're going to have a great conversation because I'm going to share a little secret with you. She's my niece. Her name is Laura Mazza Hobbs, and she will introduce herself in a few moments about her journey and her story dealing with birth control, being on birth control, being off birth control, being on birth control, and actually deciding eventually to use a natural, non-hormonal approach to birth control. And she's also a mom. So I will have her on in a few minutes. But I'd like to give you a backstory in the last episode. While I was prepping that episode on birth control, controlling you, I decided to record an outline to see how it would unfold. And the following day, I listened to the audio that included a few minutes of an annoying leaf blower, which seems to be the theme for some of my podcasts. I started podcast and have had to stop because of leaf blowing issues in Charleston and now here in Atlanta. I had to listen to quite a few minutes of an annoying leaf blower, and there was some very colorful superlatives that were just flying out of my mouth and eventually became part of the fiery muse for this podcast that I actually really didn't intend to actually have as a podcast. It was just going to be the outline. But when I listened back to the audio the next day, it really hit home because it felt like a culmination of conversations with clients over the years that had these experienced a lot of challenging symptoms that they didn't associate with their contraceptive. And I'd frequently hear tales of low libido, lack of desire for, uh, for intimacy, a sense of flatness, unexplained anxiety and depression. And a lot of times people just saying to me, Meg, I just don't feel like me. And these symptoms were becoming alarmingly the norm for women in my clinical practice that were on hormonal contraceptives. So for over a generation or two, it has become the conventional norm, the medical norm, to place a woman on the pill 
in her teens for irregular periods, for cramps, heavy bleeding, PCOS, acne, without really addressing any underlying root causes. Does this have anything to do with her diet? Does she have an eating disorder? Is she exercising excessively, which a lot of teenagers do? They do gymnastics, they're running, they're dancing, they're doing a lot, which can contribute to irregular periods, heavy bleeding, and really severe cramping. But the first go-to is the pill. Today's guest, my niece, Laura, is going to share her journey from her mid-teens until her later 30s of, again, her journey on and off birth control. And um, what had happened, how I decided to have Laura on the show, was really great. I called her the other week. We usually check in every few weeks and do a FaceTime or just a phone chat. And I reached out to her and she was uh, in Montana between flights. She was going on a photo shoot. And I asked her if she had listened to the podcast last week. And she said she hadn't. I told her about it. And she said, my goodness, this kind of sounds like me. This has been my journey through birth control. I said, well, would you like to be on my next podcast? She said, absolutely. Without further ado, hey, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Happy to join in the conversation. This is something that I do feel very passionate about. I think women need to be talking more about their cycles, be talking about the ups and downs that they go through. And to, more importantly, I think it's really important that women know it's not icky. There is nothing icky about it. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And there's a lot of power and energy that we can harness through our cycle at different times. And I'm just happy to be here and to share my story and my journey because I, I've definitely been through all of the ups and the downs and I've tried it all and been through hell and back with it. So if I can impart any wisdom to anyone that is curious as to which way to go, I'm happy to lend some insight. I think this is really funny. I go back to a time when you were three and we were sitting on your steps, uh, the steps in the living room. And I pulled out a box of costume jewelry and we opened the box and you're going through it and you're like, oh, I haven't worn these in years. And I chuckled and I was thinking, oh my God, what lifetime are you referring to? You have this very sensitive intuitive sense about things. And I think that's what makes you so creative and so appreciative of being in touch with your natural rhythm. And I would love just give people a background of what you do as a stylist. And I mean, you're so creative. And I think that plays such a role in why you're so in touch or appreciate being in touch with the rhythm of your hormones. And we'll go more into that a little later on in the podcast. Yeah. So for me, I mean, for years, like well over a decade and a half, I've been working styling for editorial celebrity. I spent a little stint working in corporate and commercial, all of it. And I think doing what we do as stylists, you have to be very in tune with people. Because, you know, you're with people in their most intimate moments. You're sitting there in a back room dressing them, usually rushed doing it. And you're having to please many people all at the same time while trying to make the person you're dressing feel beautiful. You want the client to feel heard. You want the photographer to be happy. So I think in what I do, there's a lot of uh, just those gut knowings and intuitive hits where you have to take a step back and go, hmm, you know, read the room, see how everyone's feeling. And I think 
my background in my life of just being a sensitive person and being, you know, a physical person. I've always been very tied to my physical body with a background as a gymnast and a dancer and doing all of that. I think that mind body connection is really strong. And then I think I definitely bring that into what I do while working with people. I definitely have a sensitivity when I'm dressing them to understand like how it's going to move and feel. So, I mean, I do believe in life. Everything's connected. Nothing is, you can't completely compartmentalize everything. It's like everything you do kind of runs into one another and you could always use a skill or knowledge from one thing and kind of blend it into other parts of your life. So what I would love to get into is I I want to talk about how when you went on the pill and the Mm -hmm. ebbs and flows. Also, I would love to see, and maybe if you can bring this in, or maybe I'm going to jump ahead a little. Creatively, did you notice any difference when you were on the pill and off the pill? It's a really good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like everything I've always done has always been create. Like I've never been that kind of just nine to five person. Everything I've ever pursued has been creative. So I've never really had the leeway to not be creative. So that is a good question. Maybe I could sit and think about it. Okay. Because let's start off with you had started your period your mm-hmm. first menstrual cycle at the age 12. Yeah. So why don't you just, because I love your story and your timeline. Age 12, you, you started your period. You went on the pill at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. And I just would like you to kind of give people a, a timeline of the pill for you in your life. Sure. 38 years. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I definitely I definitely took the journey and tried the different things. I know, yeah, got my period at age 12. Age 12 wasn't afraid of it. I definitely knew what it was. I wasn't embarrassed. If I got my period at school, I had no problem going up to a male teacher. Like I need to use the bathroom. I got my period. Like for me, it wasn't like taboo. And I know people are like, Oh, it's icky. But I'm like, why is it icky? It's something that we all go through. Like, are you disgusted when you have to blow your nose? Cause you have a cold? No, it's normal. You don't hide that. So I think for me, it's always been like a very normal part of my life. I got my period at age 12. I was very excited about it. Continued on for the next three years, having an irregular cycle, maybe only getting it once every three years. And because of that, probably I was back-to-back gymnastics. You mean once every three months? Once every three months. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. So I got it at 12 and then it was just spotty. I would get it maybe just five times a year and but, it was intermittent. Okay. But how physically, so your lifestyle back then, you were in gymnastics, yeah. you were in cheerleading. Yeah. Competitive cheerleading. Yeah. Gymnastics. Dancing was doing like three classes a week. On top of that, I was babysitting. Also had a part time job. Um, I was a decent student. I was a good student, and then definitely social life. I mean, I definitely love going out. So I was definitely very on the go, and I was definitely burning the candle at both ends. And you know, once I turned fifteen, it was one of those moments where I guess my mother was like, "Let me take you in. Let's address this." And of course, the first thing the doctor does is cool, let's regulate her with some hormones. And I'm sure at the end of the day, my parents probably thought, you know what, she's 15, she's starting to date. This is probably not a bad thing. You know, as, you know, teen pregnancy is something that people aren't very excited about. So the idea of, yeah, just get these teenagers on birth control and- Well, yeah, but was that the real reason? You were placed on birth control because you were having irregular cycles. Well, yeah, irregular- that's yeah. So irregular I mean, cycles, that, but I'm sure I'm sure in the back of my parents' mind it was oh yeah right. irregular cycles. But 
you know, but that's, at the end but, of the day. I guess the point I, I'm trying to make, you you were addressing these irregular cycles. Yeah. I mean, dual purpose. I, I, mm-hmm. I think your mom was also thinking we need to regulate. What happens with a lot of young women when they start their period, their cycles are not really regular. But what happens if young women are working out that excessive exercising is a stressor in the body mm-hmm. that can deregulate a, a young gal's cycle. Sure. So you're right. You're burning the, the candle at both ends and you're not giving your body the opportunity to have to ovulate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because your body sees this as, believe it or not, at that young age as a fight or flight stress response. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're running from a tiger. Yeah. Well, actually, you're so physically active that your body is not in that that state where you can have a healthy, regular cycle, because you are, you're burning the candle at both ends. But I do want to emphasize that was my understanding, and it still is, that you went on the pill at 15 to... And yeah, then, that was, that was yeah. why they brought me in. They brought me in. Yeah, I had an irregular cycle. They gave me an ultrasound mm-hmm. just to make sure it wasn't PCOS, which yes. it wasn't. I think they caught maybe there was a small cyst that had burst, which sometimes that gets caught when I go in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was the reason. It was for an irregular cycle. And... They put me on ortho at 15, which, of course, I puffed up immediately. I mean, it was noticeable. I look back and I'm like, ooh, that was, my face was a little you, around you, there. You, yes, you had the, what I call the birth control puff. Mm-hmm. You can see it in a lot of women. They just have this certain puffiness and yeah. it's from their 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 uh, birth control. So you were on it at 15. And then what happened around 18? So yeah, 19? stayed on ortho probably for close to three years. And then at some point in college, they switched me to Yaz, which was the new and better thing. Probably, maybe I took it because they told me maybe the bloating was going down. And of course, you know, as an 18 year old in college and definitely active and dating, I was like, okay, great, let's try it. And I remember I was on it. I can't remember how long, but I remember at one point I called my mom and I was like, I don't know what's wrong. Life is going good. I'm getting good grades. I have a boyfriend. We're having fun. I have lots of friends. I have a great social life. I just joined a sorority. I was loving that. So on every level, like I checked all the boxes. Life was good. I have nothing to complain about. However, I felt pretty despondent. I couldn't, and I wouldn't say, I don't even want to use the word suicidal because it wasn't that, like I didn't have any ideation, but I just had this overwhelming feeling of hopelessness of like, I don't know how I can go on. It was a very odd feeling. And immediately my mom was just like, oh my gosh, your sister, who my sister is a couple years younger. She's like, oh, your sister's going through the same thing right now. She's like, it's the, it has to be the Yasmin get off of it right now. So I got off of that. And those feelings went away because I am not a naturally depressed kind of person. And I know that some people do run that way. I know myself and my body. So I remember when I was feeling that way, I was like, this is not me. This is not normal. I mean, am I bubbly and then in the best mood ever, every moment? Absolutely not. I definitely have ups and downs, but it was a very specific kind of chemical feeling. Yeah. And you know what happens with a lot of women, and one of the reasons why I I wanted you here today, what a lot of girls or young women have done, they don't associate this with their birth control. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of young women at the age of 19, 18, then get on a medication for depression and Mm -hmm. SSRI. Yeah. And as I've mentioned before in previous podcasts, this is when your doctor has to ask, well, wait a minute, did this happen in a timely fashion with changing birth control? And this is so common 
I think so many women, to some varying degree, feel a flatness mm-hmm. when they're on different medications. And you are, and we'll go into this in a few minutes. You actually switch to a, a well, I don't want to jump the gun, but you're going to talk about another form of birth control that you were on. You said you felt great. Well, there were so, two more. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I know. Was, I was on Yasmin and then got off of that. And then I was on nothing for a few years. And eventually. How did that feel? Hmm. I felt normal. I felt good. Yeah. I felt definitely better than being on birth control. I knew at that point I did not want to take birth control. At that mm-hmm. point, once I turned 20, I'm like, I am done with oral contraceptives. I, I knew that for myself. I did not like the way it made me feel. I did not like the way it made me look. And I just figured I was like, there has to be another way. So jump forward to now I'm 23, living in Los Angeles. I have a boyfriend. And of course, I'm trying to do the, the safe thing. So I decide, all right, you know what? I'm in a relationship right now. You know, pregnancy is not something that I would like in my life at this moment. So I start the Nuva ring and I touted it to everyone. I was like, this is great. It's so easy to use. It's very comfortable. Um, I have no bloat. I literally, it was crazy because I actually, it, I lost weight, but then my boobs got bigger. It was like, I was like, this is the greatest combo ever. Well, it was really wonderful until I became the 0.7% that it wasn't effective on. And I did have a pregnancy with it, which unfortunately I chose not to keep because it was the right thing for me to do as a 25-year-old young woman in Los Angeles, also with a person that I didn't ever, I would not want this person to be my child's father ever. So there was a protective element to that. So unfortunately, I was put in this really horrible situation because I was on a birth control that did fail me. So I do want to emphasize to women out there, don't put 100% faith into these products that they're giving you because the truth is like you can manage yourself better than the product. And I'm just very, very passionate about that. I don't, I just don't believe in putting your faith in hormones. So then cut forward to- When you say faith in hormones, you're saying put your faith in- yeah, to, to trust well, these products know, that these doctors are giving you. I think that there's there needs to be more that we're doing. And then I, this is where I'll cut forward to Then I decided, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to get on the Paraguard and I'm going to track my, my cycle. So mm. I just want to say at this point, mm. most oral contraceptives and birth control, hormone-related uh, birth control, is highly effective. Also, and we'll get into this, even if women take a, like a, and I'll go into what is called a fertility awareness method. It's a different way of tracking your cycle naturally. There is a small percentage for all of us. I think you, what I'd like to state is you are being incredibly responsible and life happens. Life happens. Life happens. And I do believe that if I was a little more educated and I was using that along with tracking it, I think that there might've been a little bit more. You can't track love. You can't track your cycle on birth control. Oh, you're you're right. You can't. Okay. So there you go. This is important. This is important. I I, I really actually, I'm so glad you said that you can't track your cycle because you're not ovulating. And the bleed that you have is a withdrawal Mm. bleed that is induced by these synthetic hormones. Mm. So again, life happens. 
And I mean, I think, and I think the scary part is, and I mean, I don't know, I'm not saying any, I, I can't speak for the company, but you don't know if the product that you're getting is effective. How do I know that that one ring for that one month had the right amount of hormone? How do you know if you're taking yeah. your pills in general? You don't know if there's a faulty pill but, in there somewhere. But, yes. But I, I do find that, um, and I, I just don't want to continue harping on this. I, yeah. I do actually think con- hormone-based contraceptives can be very effective Mm -hmm. in preventing pregnancy. The big concern I have with hormone-based contraceptives are all the side effects. If they didn't have all these side effects, it would be, I think we would be having a different conversation today. And the big ones that I see Mm -hmm. for women is I, again, I'm going to, and, you know, listeners, you know, track this with yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you feel flatter? Do you feel a little off? I had a client last week and she's on the Morena. And she just said to me, we're in the middle of the session. And she's like, Meg, I am done. She -hmm. said, I don't want any more hormones in my system. Because she said, there's a part of me that feels like I want to express who I am in the world. And I can't because I know that these hormones are impacting how I feel about my life. She said, I feel flat. So she's, I mean, I I thought it was profound because we'd been talking about it and I don't push it with women. Mm. I want them to kind of sense where they are. And she got really clear. She said, I am done. So, you know, the, the conversation today, and I'm so happy you're here, sweetie. I really mean it, is that you have to, you know, there's never a guarantee with anything you use, but you have to do what you feel is the best and be as, as responsible as you can. And again, for many women, it's all these side effects that they have that what would it be like? And I think part of it, again, is that each cycle, what I love about our cycles and which I forgot to mention, and I wanted, if I can, a lot of women have been on birth control like yourself off and on for 5, 10, 15, 20 years without ever authentically experiencing the natural rhythm of their own hormones off the pill. So I'm not referring to PMS. I think everybody thinks about their cycle and they think PMS. Mm -hmm. PMS is not your cycle. That's a symptom, which someone like myself can address. So you can feel the incredible, powerful dance of estrogen and testosterone that leads up to ovulation. You feel that that surge, that creative surge, which is your libido, but it's your creative energy. And then at the luteal phase, it's met by progesterone, which is very calming and soothing and grounding and balances estrogen. So when you can actually feel the ebb and flow of your cycle, what this does is the first half, it's like, what do you want to give birth to in your life? And the second half, how can you, a metaphor again, how can you cultivate that in this cycle? Maybe each month represents the things that you're working towards. And if women can start looking at their hormones as being a part of a way of like, how can I start using my hormones as part of my intuitive nature to be in touch with the natural rhythm of who I am to create the things that I want in the world? Because I feel hormones are not just about sex, which is great, and babies, mm-hmm. but it's also a sense of who we are in the world, our well, intuitive nature, right? I mean, creativity. 
I love that you bring that up because that is something that I've definitely noticed later on in life. Like once I started getting, once I got off hormones and I and started what I wanted to get tracking to. Yeah. and, you know, you get to these, like for me, definitely around, like I know when I ovulate, I'm one of those people that I get that little ping, that little cramping. I actually cramp more during ovulation than I actually do during my period. But it's funny because right leading up to that, I feel absolutely the most vibrant. That is like, if I'm going to go out and kind of have a night, that is kind of where I want to do that. That is definitely when I do feel most creative. I'll get creative surges. You know, I do painting and different crafting and art on my free time. And it's during that point in my cycle that I'm just really busy and very active. And I feel very drawn to being creative and then move forward to my cycle about a week before my period. I do get what may be perceived as a little more moody, but I look at it as in, I feel more empowered. You know, people look at it, oh, she's kind of pms and she's getting bitchy or whatever people ha- want to look at it. No, excuse me. I'm feeling a little more empowered to speak my mind. And that's what that is. Oh, that's so you, how you, I when that. you and I were talking, you were saying you, you kind of dropped the filter. Mm-hmm. And you speak yes. your truth. Yes, you draw. Yeah, for me, that that's exactly how I look at it. Because I mean, I think for so long, women have been put in these boxes of, you know, if she says anything, oh, she must be PMSy. What a bitch. Oh, you are you on your period? And I'm sorry, but like, F you to that. Because having a period is a wonderful thing. I actually and I feel I almost feel bratty even to say this, but and I've always been this way. I get a wave of euphoria once my period hits. And I just feel like I need to say that out loud because I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people that they'll have cramps and bloating for two weeks and they get their period and they feel disgusting. And I just, it really makes me sad to see that because I'm like, it doesn't need to be that way. And I know I can only speak because of my own anatomy, but I do believe, you know, and I know that you know this, Meg. Diet has every diet activity, all of it. All of this, I mean, has everything t- to do with it. Has your your hormones? And I had a woman call me earlier today, and she said, "My, you know, my hormones. Uh, I hear this all the time. My hormones are out of balance." I'm like, "Okay, well, let's talk about your diet." Oh, I have fibromyalgia. I have these autoimmune. You know, she has all these gut issues. Mm. All these things impact your hormones, but the biggest key is looking at diet. You know, there was a doctor, Catherine Dalton, and she was like a pioneer of PMS research back in the 50s and 60s. And what she actually discovered, I love this, is that if she, if women, young women were eating, you know, solid, nutritious, nutrient dense meals during the course of the day with snacks, they didn't have PMS. Mm -hmm. And I love that she discovered that. And I find with women to help regulate their cycle, you have to look at what you eat. It really you, matters. It your really gut does. And your digestion influence the foundation of your hormones. It's not like you're deficient in birth control. You have to take a look at, you know, going back again, when you're at the age of 12, 13, 14, what, if you're exercising too much, that's your body and you're not getting a regular cycle. And I see this with dancers. I used to treat a lot of dancers in New York and their cycles would be off, particularly classic trained ballerinas. Yeah, and that's what I was having, doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were having these real irregular cycles. Their body fat was too low. They weren't eating enough. They were working out too much and they had irregular cycles. All you have to do is change the way you eat. So we're so quick to put people on the pill. But again, and I will say this to everyone, 
in my world, it's very easy to help women address a lot of PMS. You're not supposed to have PMS. So when you can address PMS through lifestyle and diet and being on a really good multivitamin and making sure you got magnesium and, and you're having, you know, you have zinc and vitamin D and probiotics, all these things influence your cycle. Here's another thing too. When you're on birth control, birth control pills deplete the body. Mm-hmm of B vitamins and magnesium and a variety of minerals. And if you're not on a multivitamin, you're not going to have the nutrients that you need to actually support you and your cycle. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I suggest for everyone to be on a multivitamin because our soil is so depleted and we need that extra push, not just in our diet, but to supplement it with a a good multi, a good multi. I I can't say I can, it it makes such a difference in people's world, but I want to, I want to get back to your, your timeline of Mm. the birth control that you were on. So you went off the, um, the Nuva ring. So the Nuva ring, I finished that. I finished that. You were 25. I was 25. Right. Cut forward to, you know, maybe eight months later, I mm-hmm. am dating this wonderful young man uh, who is now my husband. And of <laughs> course, I wanted to be responsible. I loved him. And I just knew, I'm like, you know what? I definitely don't want to be on hormones again. Let me do the Paragard. And the Paragard is a non-hormonal copper IUD. And I knew with the Paragard at any moment, if I wanted to start a family, as they say, you just take it out, you've got 10 years. So at that moment, I'm like, I'm 26 years old. And I'm like, you know what? I'll definitely want a kid within the next 10 years. So you know what? Let's let's start this and see how it goes. So Mm -hmm. basically I get on that and I have to say it was pretty good. I did have some discomfort because unfortunately I found out later on (laughs) when I went to a new doctor who I'll talk about in a second, my the doctor that inserted it actually inserted it a little crooked. So it was... I remember um, you calling me. I remember this. One of the arms was actually leaning into the side of my uterus, and I didn't realize that for a while. So it must have been on some nerve because instead of getting stomach cramps, I would get a cramp in my thigh where I had a previous injury. So it was really... It was kind of odd. I mean, and it wasn't excruciating. It wasn't... I didn't need to take it out. I mean, it wasn't like it was so bothersome. It was just one of those things that was kind of annoying. It was just kind of annoying. But um, I went to this new doctor who was so Dr. Finke, Beverly Hills. If you're in Los Angeles, please go to him. He is wonderful. And to talk more about, you know, contraceptives and all of that, he was the one that actually caught, I have a thyroid issue and I was doing a lot of spotting and he caught that. And I feel like if I went to any other doctor, they would have been like, oh, your period's late. Oh, you're spotting. Oh, here's an oral pill. I feel like that's what they would have done. But instead, he knew to go check my thyroid levels and was like, oh, yeah, your period is a little off. You're spotting a little extra. It's because you're a thyroid. So he was the one that actually addressed that. And I'm just so thankful to that because I moved back to New York now and I've had, you know, some concerns over my period right now being I had a C-section and I've had a lot of clotting. So I went to go address that. And of course, what does he say? Oh, we could put you on ortho. I'm like, <laughs> why is that? Or the Mirena? I'm like, there's, there was no addressing any, there was like no wanting to dig deeper, wanting to look at anything else. That was just the go-to. And I just think right now, right now, most gynecologists 
are just not looking at the whole person and thinking, hmm, what could be causing this? Because you can't just keep sticking band-aids on the problem. You have to address the problem. And I think that's where we're failing people. And I think that's where I get so passionate again, for all the women in my life that have issues with their periods. I'm like, you have to be your own advocate. Like you can't just sit there and let some doctor say, here, take this, take this box of pills. Like you have to go, if that you have to go to three different doctors to get the answer. If you have to push to get that ultrasound, you get those ultrasounds. You ask for the blood work because they just push you away. Well, I have, I had a client who was having excessive bleeding. And mm-hmm. I said, I, I'm pretty sure you have polyps. Mm-hmm. Like, no, 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 no. I'm like, your bleeding is a pattern of polyps. She had a gynecologist, endocrinologist, double up on her birth control. Mm-hmm. I've heard this before. And she was feeling sick. And I'm like, when are they going to check and do a sonogram and, and see? Long and short of it, she had polyps. You have to ask for it. I mean, you have to. You, I mean, it's just like there's so many assumptions, and there mm-hmm. are really good, wonderful gynecologists. And by the way, I am going to. Um, there's someone that I absolutely love in Charleston, and that is uh, Molly Joseph. She's like your doc in LA. Mm-hmm. Love Molly Joseph. Great OBGYN. Great gynecologist. Fabulous in and working with women and really good in placing an IUD. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. She sits down, she talks to you, and she listens to you like bombs could be going off outside the room. She doesn't care. It's all about you. And she also has a holistic approach. So when you have somebody that's really an advocate for your health or can really explain why they want to put you on a certain type of birth control or make recommendations for things that you can do, that's really powerful. I mean, she's referred many clients to me over the years and I have done the same. So when you have a really a good doc that's an advocate for mm-hmm. you, that's important. What I'd like to touch on now is that you switched and, uh, you know, part of this podcast, what I would like to go into, and we'll do this in this segment, is what are the natural approach or what is a more natural non-hormonal hormonal choice or direction that you can take in addressing your fertility or making sure that you don't want to get pregnant. So you're in control to know when you're ovulating in your cycle and when is that window for you if you're not on birth control. What are the things you can do to safeguard yourself from not having uh, getting pregnant when you don't want to and, and yes. you want to have that in a timely fashion? Yep. So you had the copper IUD. What made you go on DAISY? And, and DAISY is an incredible device, by the way, that women can track their cycle. I think it's probably the most accurate device, mm-hmm. more so than a lot of apps, because a lot of the apps out there, what they do is they um, no app is going to actually ever prevent you from getting pregnant. It will tr- help you track your cycle, but it's based on um, algorithms and mostly of dealing with women that have a 28-day cycle. Most Not everybody has a 28-day cycle. No, not I everybody. don't. And, I and don't. not everybody ovulates on day 14. People ovulate on day 10 or maybe they, which, you know, I would like people to have a 14-day a, a or close to that follicular phase and a 14-day luteal phase, but make sure it's balanced in each month. You're getting your period. Your your cycles aren't going from 24 to 30 to you know 26. I want to create a natural rhythm. The great thing with a lot of these apps, 
um, they can help you track it. But if you fall out of that range and if you have PCOS, you can't. Mm-hmm. With DAISY, it's a really good tracking device that you can use. And I'll explain, I'll explain more about it in just a moment, but we're going to use Laura because Laura used it. Yeah. I used and, it for uh, years and I loved it. It was really, I used it up until I got pregnant. So what made you decide you were using, you were on the Paragard? So correct? I was on the Paragard, but I just, because I had no hormones interfering with my cycle and mm. I've always been very body conscious and body connected and interested in the ebbs and flows of my hormones and my moods and just trying to keep track of that. I've always been very interested in that aspect of biology. So I just, out of curiosity, just started tracking it and trying to see, you know, because it would come up in conversations like, oh, how many days are your cycle? And, you know, when you're coming off the pill, you're like, I don't know, it's wherever the pill ends. Mm -hmm. So basically, I wanted to see where my body was at because for the first time in forever, you know, I'm finally off of birth control and or hormonal birth control. And now I'm on the IUD and I just wanted to see where I was at. So that app is really wonderful. It shows you, you know, puts little flowers in the calendar on the days that you are most likely fertile. I think that's that's what it used to be. Now it's it's simplified to red light or or red. Red will be like, do not have sex on these days. Uh And green is thumbs up. It's safe to have sex. And the yellow is, mm, we're not really sure. So use protection. I should get back on it because I'm not on anything right now. But uh, well, I remember so at the time they, were, they were flowers. And then I remember <laughs> there was some sort of marker for the day that you were, there was like flowers for the whole window window that you could be fertile. And then mm-hmm. there was like a different color flower, I think, for the day that you were most likely ovulating. So basically those were the days that you would kind of keep track of. And also too, it was really great because then you can keep track of your moods. Like if you were, let's say a little more hungry one day, you could track that in there. If you were a little um, sore, if you were having sore breasts, like you could track that. If you felt certain days that your temp was up and down, I know temperature when people are trying Mm -hmm. to get pregnant, temperature is a big thing that they keep track of. So for me, it was just kind of keeping track of all those things. You can even put your weight in there, which I didn't bother doing that one because that's a little too, that felt a little aggressive to me. I don't want to get on the scale every day. I don't really believe in scales. I just believe in my genes, but, um, that's kind of how I used it. And then I found. Did you look at it, which I, I'm going to address and break down for people, because um, I want to go into the the fertility awareness method, which involves uh, three different methods that you can use in tracking. Mm. Did you look at your cervical mucus? Did you absolutely. use that to play a role? You know, yeah, absolutely. So basically, I mean, for me, so I was definitely I've been one of those people that like my whole life that is something that definitely changes throughout my cycle. I definitely have like an excess of that mucus right in the middle when you're ovulating and it's very clear. It's very, yeah, very egg white. Yeah. It's egg white. It's clear. So like when you're at that point in your cycle, like almost like the more like liquidy, you know, that you are the most fertile. So if you were trying to basically, if you're trying to avoid pregnancy via just keeping track of your cycle, that's a pretty good indicator avoid having sex during those days. And then, you know, once it starts thickening up, that's when you know that you're getting closer to getting your period. And then because for me, my cycle is not exactly 28 days, it would range between 
30 and 34. And with me, especially as a stylist, and I travel often, you know, I know plane travel can kind of interfere. Mm -hmm. I work long days, long nights. So for me, it's not like I'm just going to an office and I got my desk with all my pads right there. It's like, for me, it's like, I kind of have to be ready because... So here's a question, and I'm going to break this down so women can really understand this in a moment, the the three ways that women can really help accurately track mm. their cycle and that fertility window using, uh, I, I would actually use a daisy. I make no money. I'm not endorsing it's this great. with any kickback. It's because I think it's a really good, accurate product. But you had your cycles, you would go 34 days. When did you ovulate? What day did you ovulate? In your cycle, I cannot remember exactly was what it day. Around fifteen? Was it halfway through? Yeah, it was definitely. It was halfway through. Okay, I mean, I can't exactly some, remember, okay. but it was in the middle. It was in the middle. Yeah. So I always look at that with women: are they having a shorter follicular, a longer luteal? How do you, you know, how do you get that smack in the middle? Yeah, I was pretty in the middle, but I think for me too, it would kind of, it would kind of go back and forth, and I think that's why it's good to know your body. It's like understand the symptoms because you know what? The app can do so much. It can give you the average. It could predict the average. But if you know your body and let's say it's telling you, oh, you're going to be ovulating on the 15th, but you're noticing that your body symptoms, like maybe your mucus isn't kind of at that stage, then listen to your body and believe your body and maybe like avoid having sex for one more day. Do you know what I'm saying? There's things that you can do. Use a a condom. Or use a condom. I mean, either or. One of the things that I, I do like about the DAISY, and if it's used correctly, it has a 99.3% accuracy rate. Mm-hmm. Nothing's ever going to be 100%. So for women, your fertility window is last, usually it's around six days. And I'm just going to break this down for people because I think it's important. Um, you're most fertile the day you ovulate and maybe the day prior. However, sperm can survive for up to five days. So you could make believe you ovulate on the 14th of the month. You could have had sex on the 9th and mm-hmm. got pregnant on the 14th. Yeah. So you always have to bring, always consider that. So I say to people, when you use these trackers, I'm going to make it up. You ovulate on day 14. Be safe and think five days prior to ovulation and include a day after. So you're looking at six days. And if you track it by, so that is a really good way to look at, um, that's an important piece to consider, but look at your basal temperature. So a lot with um, even a lot of the apps, what you would do is you start charting your cycle. And when you chart your cycle, you're going to chart your body, your basal body temp. And what that basically means, and I do this with women that are, you know, with fertility, trying to get pregnant. You want to see what your cycle, the story that it's telling you. So from the moment you get up, you don't kiss your honey. You don't walk across the, the bedroom to go to the bathroom and tinkle. You just immediately stick a thermometer in your mouth. Try to do it consistently at the same time each day. Take your basal temperature takes like a minute, chart down your temp, boom, put it in the app. And what you're going to notice is that you're going to get a rise in your temperature by half a degree to a degree during the time of ovulation and about 10 days post-ovulation. You're going to see that rise in temperature. Why? Progesterone starts to kick in, Mm -hmm. right? 
But again, your most fertile days may be a couple of days, a few days before ovulation, but you always have to take into consideration that sperm can, you know, can make its way up and and stay with you for five days. So that's why you always want to have a safe window of six days. So if you have a menstrual cycle, let's say 28 day cycle, that means that 22 days out of the month is that you have a green light. And how are you going to know? You can use this app. Another thing that is really accurate and Laura's right is pay attention to your cervical mucus. That's mother nature telling you, oh, this is a time that you're ready to ovulate. It makes it very easy for that sperm to swim upstream and to be part of that, you know, potentially getting pregnant. Yeah. I you mean, know, you got to hang you got, out in the fallopian tube for a while until it can meet that little, little follicle and, you know, create a beautiful little embryo if that is what you want. Mm-hmm. Here's the interesting thing about tracking a cycle. It's about avoiding, it's about being in control of your fertility. It's about whether or not do you want to get pregnant or that you don't want to get pregnant. It's about knowing the rhythm of your cycle so you can make that choice. And I say for a lot of women that taking the responsibility to do a basal temp every day, checking your cervical mucus, it, it starts, you, you'll know if, when you start paying attention to that when that fertile time is. It's checking your basal temperature, cervical mucus, and using a calendar. Those three things. What's the calendar? It's your app. Yeah. You put it, it into works. Daisy. Boom. Those three things and pay attention. And what do you do if you want to have sex during those days that it's green? Protect well, yourself. Yeah. Protect yourself. If you don't want to use a condom, then think of other creative ways. But something that I would like to point out right now. The pull-out method is not really that successful. It works maybe 78% of the time, which basically means, and this is according to Planned Parenthood, that you have to run the risk, what is it, one out of four women will get pregnant mm-hmm. I believe without that. using that method. And condoms have a 98% uh, effective rate. And also the issue with pulling out method, you still can have some sperm release before ejaculation. That's Mm -hmm. why it doesn't work. So some people might find it successful, but I think you're, you know. You're just risking it. You're risking it. If it's something that you're really trying to avoid, I wouldn't count on that. You have to, if you want to do that, do that with something else. Do that with with the Paragard, but yeah. I wouldn't do it alone if you're really trying to avoid. And if you're, well, you the know, Paragard, I'm, you don't have to worry. You, you don't, don't have any, to worry, but well, I mean, yeah, if you want to be triple, you know, if you want to be triple, well, you don't safe. have to worry with the Paragard. There's no reason to use a condom unless you have a new partner and you're worried about mm-hmm. contracting an STD or something. There's no reason to use a condom with a Paragard. That's the whole idea. But Again, if you're not using a birth control like a pill or a Mirena ring or any other device, then this is the natural method. What you could use, and maybe I should get into this, a non-hormone-based contraceptive is the copper IUD. It's a Paragard. And I've had a lot of clients use that with tremendous success. And some of my clients for a few months may have had some heavier bleeding or cramps. I've actually given them herbal formulas to help Mm -hmm. them with that. And then that passes. Yeah. I mean, I do remember having a slight heavier period, but it wasn't really anything that 
was earth shattering. It wasn't like right. changing. It was okay. It wasn't like you're hemorrhaging. I mean, if you're hemorrhaging, no. I would also be looking at what else is going on with that cycle. What other things that may need to be addressed in terms of nutrition and, and hormones naturally. But this is my clinical experience. Most of the women that I have worked with that have gone on the Paragard, the copper IUD, have not had problems. Mm -hmm. First few months, few adjustments. It's the same thing with the pill, by the way. It takes a few months. I mean, a lot of times women go on the pill and there's a lot of spotting mm -hmm. where they don't, they don't feel great. And then there's an adjustment period or they, they do continue having symptoms from, you know, headaches to low libido. But again, and I just want to make it super clear for people is that the Daisy is a great device to check out. I'll have it in my show notes and I'll give you a link. You can check out the site. You can also look at with your cycle, checking your basal temperature every day, paying attention to your cervical mucus. And then putting it in the app with the calendar. And then what will happen after a few cycles, you'll get to see what the natural rhythm of your cycle is. And you'll have a, you start getting a consistent picture of when that safe window is for you to either abstain, use condoms, or be real creative. Just mm -hmm. don't use the withdrawal method. That pullout method is, is not good. Again, it was 22 out of 100 women in a year, we'll get pregnant with that or yeah. one out of four women. Yeah. So that's another way of looking at it. And you have to be prepared with that one. You got to be, be prepared. But you know, there's, again, what I, people might say, oh crap, what do you mean? I have to do all that stuff. It's kind of like when I have, when I work with women and I want them to start changing the way they're eating, people are always eating on the go and eating fast food or takeout or whatever. But once you start cooking for yourself, and once you start having a mindful approach to eating well, it's second nature. So once you, if you're not happy on the pill because you're having a lot of symptoms, and I got to tell you, a really big issue that I see with women is low libido. Mm -hmm. I mean, here you are, you're trying to avoid getting pregnant. You don't want to have sex. And that's a problem. All women need to have that joie de vie, that, that sexual energy. It is your creative drive. It's so connected to that. It really, really is. And it's hard to harness it if you can't feel, if you can't feel yeah. your cycle. Now, right. And the reason, and I'm not saying, as I said before, I'm not saying you're not creative, but what would it be like to actually feel the natural rhythm of your hormones? And if you start getting cramps or you're breaking out or you're, you're, um, getting a lower back pain or, or clots, that's your body's way of saying, wow, what do I need to adjust in my lifestyle and my diet? Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to work with Meg, which would be lovely, or someone like Meg that's going to help me tweak. You don't have to go to synthetic hormones to do that. I'm going to bring Joey the mechanic in because I hear him tugging on my ear. What is it, Joey? No, we're not going to change the transmission today. All right, he wants to change the carburetor. Again, if you're having cramps or if you're having low libido, if you're going to go on birth control, here's a, another example. You're on birth control and you're starting to get depressed. Are you going to go, oh, you need to go on Celexa or Lexapro? That's like saying, oh, you need, you, you need a new carburetor. Or why? Well, you're sad. We've got to put you on an SSRI. You're depressed. 
but doctor, why am I sad? I don't know. Why is there no correlation between the pill and depression and anxiety? This is what I see all the time, or I've seen in extreme cases, and I'm sure you've seen it too, Laura. I've had clients feel suicidal. Yeah. I've had clients cutting, and it was the pill, and it was making them really depressed. I mean, there are, I mean, this is maybe perhaps like a whole nother conversations. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different medications, not that I'm anti-medication and there are certain things that I'm going to have to take for the rest of my life. But I think it's really, really important that when we are starting to have these symptoms to step out and look big picture, you can't just focus in like, you can't finish a painting. If you're just staring at the corner, you got to step out and look at the whole thing. And I, I definitely feel so strongly about women just addressing that and definitely looking at, you know, when they're having any sort of cramp or excessive bleeding, like think about what are you taking? What are you on? What are you eating? What can you eliminate from your life and track it? Don't be lazy, track it. If you don't want to do the daisy, have a journal. But I mean, the daisy is so easy. The daisy is so easy and it's so accurate. Oh my gosh. That is like the best investment any woman could make. I really feel that. I mean, I've had clients that have had terrible PMS Mm -hmm. and they had terrible insomnia. Oh, and God. then oh yes, but let oh, me. I, forgot. Let, I did have terrible insomnia when but I was. When on I that. look at with insomnia, I got to look at your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. I've had people being put on gabapentin because I have insomnia. That's neurotin. That's a that's a medication for nerve pain. And off label, what do they use it to help you sleep? Oh my God, no! Why don't we figure out why someone is having insomnia again? I, I'm tying in different things because I think this is really important. That's insomnia so funny because you're reminding me of that. I totally issue. forgot. Yeah. I had horrific insomnia. Oh my gosh. You just like connected it. I wasn't even connecting it. Yes. I had terrible I, 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 insomnia for years, all, all of high school, pretty much the whole time that I was on. Probably your blood sugar was, you, you, cortisol levels are high. We're doing way too much and you probably... Probably needed to eat more. Oh, I more used to protein just, and fats. Oh gosh, in high school, I would just lay there, stare at the ceiling, and I'd be like, "Oh, time to go to school." I would literally go There's to school so without having sleeping at yeah. all. And that's another show I, I really but, want to yeah. do. I would love to do something on insomnia. What I wanted to hit home today for many listeners: if you're struggling with the pill, if you're struggling emotionally, if you're feeling a lot of bloat and cramps and headaches, and actually even achiness in the joints and depression and anxiety, and never experiencing bleeding, what would it be like to say, I'm going to take a break. I want to see what it feels. I want the contrast of what I feel like on the pill and what it feels like to be off the pill. You know, I said in the last episode, give yourself four to six months, do a daisy, give yourself as much time as you need, see what it feels like. To, to, and, and actually what happens sometimes when you go off the pill, your period's going to be a little wonky for a bit until you regulate. But I want women to experience the natural beauty of their hormones. And if you are experiencing PMS, reach out to me. We can work together. That is so easy to remedy, to resolve, resolution. I'm always about not band-aiding, putting band-aids on your issues, but getting to the root cause. Because if you take care of PMS, you're actually going to be addressing other issues along the spectrum of your health. 
So if you would like to reach me, you can uh, go to my website, megrechichi.com. All my contact information is there. Would love to hear from you. Laura, I want to thank you for being here today. Any closing words, anything you'd like to say? Yes. Thank you for having me on. And I just want to share with any woman listening or any man or husband, I just really want to emphasize that periods are not gross. Have a period, bleed, let your body do its natural thing, harness the power that occurs in the middle of your cycle. When you get to the end of your cycle and you feel a little withdrawn, listen to yourself. We are not meant to be machines that are just powering through the day like a superhero. Like we should be working with the cycles of the earth. You know, we go through seasons. Your moon cycle. You know, the moon cycle. You know, you go through seasons. I mean, I know that I always cycle with the full moon. I've kept track of it. And I know when I see the full moon coming, here I go. So I think when you start to tune in a little deeper, you have a greater connection to the earth and to people around you. And let's stop numbing ourselves. You know, again, it is everyone's personal choice. I just wanted to provide um, another perspective Mm -hmm. and allow you to think about this. What would it be like to be in charge of my own hormones? There's options. And there are so many options. And one thing I do want to say before we go at the when you have your period and when you are on your bleed that is an opportunity to slow down go inward and ask yourself what how do i need to nurture myself what was this month for me what did i learn during the course of my monthly cycle what do i want to work on next cycle and Go for long walks. Take it easy. Do some stretching. You don't have to go crazy and go to the gym and start lifting weights and doing hot yoga. This is a time to dial it back and be reflective and go inward and ask, what do I need? What is it that I want to give birth to in my next cycle? And what did I receive in this cycle? So on those words, I want to wish everyone a beautiful day. I send you much love and grace. We are approaching the end of the year, going into the holiday season. And Merry Christmas, a belated Happy Hanukkah to all, a Happy New Year. And I will see you soon. Much love, much grace. And thank you for joining me today on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. Be well.